Very good. All right, everybody. Good to see everyone. Let's pray and let's get started. Father, again, we come before you. Thank you, uh, Lord, that we can sing the praises of our great God and King. We thank you, Lord, that you are the great one in three and that we are here to hear of your majesty and to proclaim your glory. And Lord, we pray that you would help us now, that you would give us uh, hearts that are attentive and ears that are ready to hear what your word uh, declares. Continue to strengthen us, Lord, even as we study the doctrine of the church. I pray that you would bless our church and strengthen our church and our members that are present. And Father, anyone who would be watching uh, or listening to this uh, in days hereafter, Lord, we pray that you would bless them as well and um, just help us to understand this very practical but very important doctrine of ecclesiology. Help us to be discerning in these days where it seems as if discernment is at an all-time low uh, and it seems as if your church is constantly under attack and the doctrine of the church is constantly under attack and undermined uh, in today's culture. And Father, we pray that you would help us to see the church as you see the church, that it would be as precious to us as you would have it to be, Lord. So bless our time now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, guys, so today I want to talk about uh, the, the, the ministry of the Word, and I want to talk about preaching. And so uh, this is uh, obviously kind of right up my alley to talk about preaching, so uh, it's going to be one of those uh, studies that I really enjoy. So if you uh, look at this scripture here, this kind of sets the pace uh, for everything uh, that we're thinking about as far as the ministry of preaching, ministry of the Word, and uh, it is a passage like this that really reminds us not only of the importance of, of ecclesiology, the importance of the doctrine of preaching, uh, homiletics as it's technically called, but just how serious it is. And a passage like this really illustrates it. So let's, let me read this for us. Beginning in verse 11, it says, Prescribe and teach these things, obviously everything that went before, uh, and he says, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture and to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. And this is really the key, 15 and 16. Take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And so if we think about the doctrine of soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, if we think about the doctrine of justification, namely being by grace through faith, we might listen to a verse like this and say, wait a minute. So here Timothy is being told that he can ensure salvation for himself and for those that hear him. Uh, that kind of runs, I think, contrary to what we might, it sounds kind of provocative to say that, but what he just means here is that, in a sense, salvation follows this basic pattern, that if, in fact, you are going to be saved, you are going to persevere, this is going to be a characteristic of your life. You will be, in a sense, committed to this level of ecclesiology. The Word is going to have this effect, and the ministry of preaching and teaching is going to be instrumental in, or we could say as a means, for your justification and for your glorification ultimately. So it shows you how important that really is, is that uh, when a person is not in a church, committed to a church, in the ministry of the church, uh, to that degree, we should question whether or not this person is spiritually on the right track, certainly unhealthy if you are not falling into this category of being under the word, in the word, uh, subject to the word, under the preaching and teaching of the word, uh, and because uh, that is a characteristic of salvation, in other words, it characterizes 
the, the life, we could put it this way, okay, for all of you Calvinists out there, uh, the characteristic of the life of the elect is that you live your life in and under the word of God. And uh, that is uh, a characteristic of true, genuine, saving faith. So that kind of illustrates for us just how important it is. I mean, verse uh, 16 is really uh, uh, two things. 15 and 16 are both uh, very important imperatives there. Take pains and then pay close attention. I mean, both of those are very somber warnings to Timothy that these are two things that he must do. Uh, look at that word there, verse 15, take pains. Uh, what that means is that you need to uh, work very hard at the ministry of preaching and teaching and uh, having a faithful ministry. You need to take pains with these things. And then he says later, be absorbed in them. The reason I'm talking about this is because there's so much need today for a, a faithful uh, ministry, a vision of a biblical ministry and the biblical mandate of preaching and teaching and pastoral ministry in general, that this is really what pastors need to be absorbed with. This is what they need to be obsessed with, is this right here, what Paul is prescribing. And today, sadly, too many ministries, as you know, are obsessed with other things. We could say maybe surface level things, things like church growth or finances or capital campaigns or building projects or you know, fame and, you know, all, all those kinds of things, influence and, and things like that. Uh, that's, not the, that, that's not to be the focus of the preacher, of the, of the minister. Uh, the focus is to be absorbed in the things that Paul prescribes here. And then he says, play, pay very close attention, which means to me that, you know, you have to be extremely vigilant about both your life personally uh, that would even be preeminent, even beyond your teachings. Beyond, before you get to your gifts, you first have to deal with your character. And so that's why Paul says that. So what is preaching? A very simple question here. Um, what is preaching? I think you can discern what preaching is by the titles that are given to preaching. So kind of interesting because we talked about last week, what is eldership? What is an elder? What is pastoral ministry? And say, well, you can, you can learn what pastoral ministry is all about based on the titles of pastoral uh, ministry. So we looked at overseer, elder, uh, and pastor. And so here I would say we can take uh, these, which are the most important terms when it comes to what preaching is. Preaching first is preaching. <laughs> so preaching is preaching. There, don't, don't you? That's a very axiomatic lesson right there, right? Uh, no, the reason why that's important is because, uh, and I'll expand on that on a minute, but let me look at the other two real quick. Preaching is also teaching. We looked at that, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, and it's also exhortation or exhorting. Uh, for example, in Hebrews 13, the author of Hebrews, and this is another reason why people think the uh, book of Hebrews is actually a sermon, because he says, bear with this word of exhortation. And so if, 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 if preaching entails anything, it entails exhortation. You know, the Reformers and the Puritans were really big on this. Uh, they called preaching experiential preaching. Does anybody know what that means? Uh, when, 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 they, when they talked about experiential preaching, does anybody know what that means? Uh, uh, anyone? No? Nobody? Yes, ma'am? I'll throw out a guess. I'm <laughs> guessing that if they're referring to the unique experience with these believe that preaching is unique in the ministry because it's a moment when the Holy Spirit is uniquely using the pastor to speak to the believers. Oh, so more like the power of preaching. Yeah. Okay. I guess that's what I'm that's not what they meant by that word. But that's why I kind of ask, because when we hear the word experience, right, like experiential, right, we think of like, okay, we're experiencing something, right? <laughs> so just, uh, yes, sir? Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. So experiential preaching had to do with all, everything had to do with application. And so what, what they were saying is that don't just preach in the abstract right? You must take the abstract doctrine of Scripture, whatever it is you're preaching, and then you have to take that and you must apply it directly to the people's life. It's like pressing the hearts of the people with the Word. This is part of exhortation. And so experiential preaching uh, believed in the absolute sufficiency of the Word of God. So you've heard of 
you know, like sola scriptura, right? The absolute authority of the word of God. But they also believed in tota scriptura, the absolute sufficiency of the word of God, that the word of God was absolutely sufficient for every area of your life, and that's why it was to be preached experientially, okay? And so we'll talk a little bit about that. But uh, So this is what it is, and let's get into each one of these. For example, look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. Um, that's the word there, katalangeo. Uh, we proclaim him and that word proclamation is really good because uh in the book by lloyd jones preaching and preachers the first thing that lloyd jones says that preaching is is that preaching is proclamation or what he called heralding heralding so when the preacher stands up he is a herald and so if he is a herald if preaching is heralding what does that imply? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Uh, what does it mean to herald, number one? I guess that would be like a verb, right, I think. And then if you are a herald, what, is that, what does that imply to you about, about the, the, the herald? <laughs> Anybody? Yeah, uh, Russell? Announcing, declaring. Yes, sir? Mm, very good. The message is not your own. Did you read Lloyd-Jones by any chance? You haven't read Lloyd-Jones? Shame on you. You haven't read Lloyd-Jones. <laughs> uh, Morgan, did you have something? I'm sorry. Oh, Yes. Yes, correct. Yeah, it, it's, it's Lloyd-Jones, if I, memory serves me well, uh, Lloyd-Jones said something like, you know, um, the fact that preaching is heralding means that, that the pastor is foremost to deliver the announcement, the message, from the imperial palace of heaven on behalf of the king of heaven, and that he comes with a message from heaven. Okay, which is really remarkable, right? I mean, we are to be heralds of, of the message of God. I mean, if we believe that the word of God is in fact transcendental, meaning that it is beyond us, right? Transcendent, it comes from a different, it's supernatural. It, 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 it's, its origin is not human, but it's divine. You know, then the words that we are delivering from this book are a heavenly announcement. So the preacher is to be a herald of heaven and so when it says here we proclaim him it is a declaration ultimately also kind of gives us the um the focus of the message right we can say the essence of the message the essence of the message of the herald that is heralded is wrapped up in one little pronoun him which is the antecedent is christ and so we herald christ that's the first thing i'll never forget was invited to a, uh, a pastor's ordination where several men were being ordained for ministry in this little, uh, this little uh, Spanish congregation, a, a Baptist church. And this old man rose to the pulpit and uh, to deliver a, a devotion. And I mean, the guy needed help up to the pulpit and he was frail and old and he grabbed onto that pulpit. And in Spanish, he be his opening line was, we must proclaim him. And uh, it was so powerful for me to sit there and listen to that, you know, just something, something uh, just, uh, I don't know what classic about that or something, I don't know, it was, it was just amazing. And so that never left me, you know what I mean? Even though I wasn't a Baptist, Armenian church, oh, well, we won't get to that, but what I'm saying is that, you know, despite that, it's just here's this old seasoned, retired preacher standing there, and he knows that the very essence of the of the pastor's uh, message is Christ. And so he uh, reminded us of that. So it is heralding, it is announcing. And what else is implied by this? Dylan says, that means the message is not your own. Correct, which means it's not for you to edit it. It's not for you to distill it somehow. It's not for you to make it more palatable, to make it more rational, to make it more appealing or attractive or uh, more digestible, right? Uh, if, the, if the message is not our own, the job of a herald was to simply give the message as the, mis the message was intended to be given. 
And so that's why in biblical preaching, we engage in the art and science of exegesis. What does the word exegesis mean? Anyone? Exegesis. What is the Greek word? Reading the context, the way, yeah, that's, that's true, yeah. The way that it's re- taking from the word, the way that it's written, right? Anybody else? Drawing out, yeah, because it, the word, you know, exegesis, it's a compound word, right, that comes from ek, out of, right? So, so a person is to explain out of the text. You see what I'm saying? That, and, and, and to Cameron's point, kind of what he was aiming at is original meaning, right? Like, what is the original meaning of the text, and that is, the, that, is the, that is the reason why we do exegesis is because we don't want to inject a foreign meaning into the Word of God. We want it to mean what the Word of God means. And, uh, and, and, and you know, that's, that's really important. So in order to do that, you know, it's tough. It's, it's really hard to follow sometimes the flow of thought, you know. Um, uh, you, some, some sections in the Apostle Paul, very tough. Romans chapter 5, verses 18 through, or verses uh, 12 uh, to, to uh, 18, even, fall, even after that, but like uh, uh, verses 12 to 18, you know, some consider that to be the hardest section in all of Pauline theology. Even you follow the train of thought, it's so difficult to discern what is Paul, what is Paul saying, what does Paul mean, what is, and there's so many positions on some of these verses, you know? So it's, it's really important that we engage in the duty of exegesis, and, uh, and, and it really, uh, if you don't do exegesis, it can be very telling of your ministry right up front. I would say you can eliminate much of pastoral ministry, much of preaching. You can eliminate a lot of pastoral ministry by whether or not people engage in exegesis. If I go to a church and I hear no exegesis, I mean, I don't know if I'll, go, I don't know if I'll be back. You know? <laughs> what I mean by exegesis is also, this is maybe an important distinction, guys, is uh, in, in recent times, the word expository uh, which the word expository just means uh, it's different than exegesis in that expository just means that you're expounding upon the word. You're, you're sort of explaining, you're kind of fleshing out the meaning of uh, the, you know, the, 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 the verse or the passage. Exegesis is a bit more technical because exegesis is now dealing with the actual grammar and the syntax of the text. And so the reason I want you guys to know the difference is because much of what's done in the name of exposition is no longer exegetical. Um, no longer exegetical. Uh, I disagree with, uh, with, with somebody that I, I look up to in all this. Mark Dever, uh, you know, he says that uh, ex, you know, expositing the Bible is just uh, teaching the main, the main thing in a text. So like find a Paragraph, what's the main teaching of that paragraph? Teach that, that's exposition. I disagree. I think, uh, I think exposition should follow exegesis. And so I don't just assume exegesis. I think exegesis needs to be proven. It needs to be shown. You need to be able to display to people that this word means this, that this word's connected to this, and this verb is this, and this is this tense, and that mood, and stuff like that. Not that you turn the entire sermon to a, a lesson on grammar, right? But... If you don't engage in actually expounding the, the words and the grammatical connections and the logical connections, then it's like, you know, wh- why does Paul give us so many conjunctions in the Bible? Why does the Apostle Paul, uh, why does he engage in um, hapax legomena? You know, the word hapax is, means once. The word legomena just means words, right, or speech or something like that. And what that that word hapax legomena means is that this is the only place you find a word like this, and then what they have found is that the Apostle Paul has actually invented words. (laughs) And the reason they're hapax legomena, meaning the only place you kind of see them anywhere, is because Paul invented a word. (laughs) He's kind of like, before there were hyphenated words in Greek, you know, he kind of just combining words saying, yeah, this is a new word, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And so he does that because he's really trying to, to, to draw out a meaning or he's trying to teach a new rich theology somehow. So how can you get in, how can you explain any of that if you're just giving people the gist of, of what that passage, anyway, so 
Any questions about any of that? I mean, you can fall off on two sides of the equation there, right? And this is why Lloyd-Jones says, be careful because preaching is not lecturing, right? Don't turn it into a, a dry seminary lecture. Then you lose the component of heralding. And then you lose the experiential component, which is to drive it home to the heart of the people, right? So you gotta, there's a fine balance there. Yes, Cameron? Uh, that's almost like a violation of the law of non-contradiction. Can you eisegete and exegete at the same time? No. Exegesis is the opposite of eisegesis. Eisegesis is the preposition ice into, so you're putting into the text a, a meaning that is not there. Exegesis is that you're drawing out from the text the meaning, so they're opposite. I suppose, that, I suppose you can do a little both in the course of a sermon, and sometimes that's what you find, right? Yeah, so you got You could eisegete if you're in error. Yeah, and that would kind of lend to your hermeneutics or, you know, your ability to do exegesis. You know, this is, this is, you know, I'm convinced that the reason why there's not more exegetically driven preaching is because it's hard. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, it's sometimes you're just racking your brain, you know. I, I know that I go through that on a weekly basis, and there are times where I just go through commentary after commentary after commentary. I just, I just go through them like, like, like water because I'm just, they're not getting to it. They're not getting to it. They're not explaining what I'm looking for. It's not answering the question, you know what I mean? And you're just frustrated with all these commentaries that you spend hundreds of dollars on and they're giving you nothing, you know? <laughs> so, but you still, gotta, you still gotta keep digging. So uh, it's hard work and that's why a lot of people don't wanna do it. It's a lot easier to just get up and be like a motivational speaker, you know? <laughs> that's that's kind of easy, you know? Although, I don't know, for me, that'd be kind of hard, but anyway. Anybody have any other questions about that? I love talking about this, obviously, and it's kind of like my life. Okay, so preaching is also teaching. Look at these texts. Approach it from a different angle here. Uh, both, if you notice, maybe I should have underlined this, but if you notice, both of these texts have the word shrink. You see that? I did not shrink or shy away or neglect from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And in the context of declaring there, he taught, so teaching, didaskalos, uh, he is teaching, uh, or didaskaleo if it's a verb, but uh, teaching you publicly and from house to house. And then verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. And so, uh, you know, these verses are important because in the context of teaching, I thought this was a really good example of how uh, biblical, true preaching, true teaching, true um, biblical uh, discipleship engages in two things, we could almost say. We could almost say that, you know, when he says here publicly and from and house to house, I really like that because what he's saying is that he was consistent. So whether he's in public and preaching in a church, preaching from, the, from a pulpit, preaching in public, open air preaching, whatever, uh, he also does this house to house He's not afraid in intimate conversation to preach to you the same message that he preached in public. And, so, and it also lends to the idea, although this may not be necessarily prescriptive, but it does describe the manner or really the custom of the Apostle Paul that especially as he was uh, founding these churches, uh, Acts chapter 20, you know, you're talking about Ephesus, uh, but there that, you know, he, he, he was in, so knit into the lives of the people that he's actually visiting them house to house and, and, and engaging in that, that type of thing. And so, I mean, what does that tell you about, you know, the accessibility of the preacher? You know, I mean, you've got to be willing to go into people's homes and, and have intimate conversations with them and, and teach them personally if, if need be. Uh, and also, but the, also publicly as well, you know, you need to be able to, uh, to do both, uh, to do both. Uh, and then he says here, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why um, I think that the task of the preacher, and, and verse 27 lends more to this, but has to be very comprehensive. Uh, you have to engage in systematic theology. You have to hit all the core doctrines of the faith 
and you have to hit every aspect of people's lives. And, and, and shrinking away, uh, I think, well, why does Paul say that? Well, I, my, you know, my guess is that because it's very easy to shrink away from doing that. It's very easy to shrink away from topics that you may not want to talk about, you know what I mean? Or passages of Scripture you don't want to preach or you don't want to teach. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough. And so, you know, it's like when preachers are getting ready to preach on a controversial subject, you know, it's like, oh boy, here we go, you know, like, get ready, you know, eschatology or spiritual gifts or, you know, something like that, you kind of, you're afraid of touching those subjects, you know. Here, it's like the Word is keeping Paul accountable to the Word, you know, it's like it's not up to him. And then I didn't shrink away from declaring to you the whole purpose of God, also to me explains that in your teaching, you know, it has to be comprehensive and you have to teach the whole purpose of God, meaning the whole counsel of God, another way of, of saying it, right? That you don't leave out any, any kind of sections, you know? It's like, I wish MacArthur would have went from the New Testament to an Old Testament book. <laughs> Matter of fact, when he finished, uh, he tells a story that when he finished Luke, which was the last book of the New Testament he needed to preach, somebody came up to him at church and says, are you going to go through the Old Testament now? And he says, are you kidding? Look at me. (laughs) You think I could handle that? (laughs) You know, it's like, okay, understood. But I wish Johnny Mac would have went to like Genesis or something. You know what I mean? Like take us to the whole council. Um, But you know what I mean? Any questions about that? You know, it's kind of why I decided to do Isaiah is because I want to expose our church to more than just New Testament preaching and teaching. I mean, what does the New Testament say? All scripture is inspired of God and it's profitable for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness so that the man of God may be, uh, you know, equipped, lacking nothing, right? I mean, so all of scripture comprehensively is profitable. It doesn't matter if you're in, you know, Ecclesiastes or you're in the book of Romans. It is all inspired of God and it's all profitable for your life. And so the whole purpose has to be declared. Okay, uh, preaching is also exhortation. Oh, turn there. That's where I had my Bible earlier. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, because here uh, we see kind of the context, the content, the manner, the reason, and the result of exhortation and preaching. And so here, uh, what's really amazing is uh, just breaking this down. I could have spent my whole time just on this because it's so rich, but uh, verses uh, 2 to 4, this is what it says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. I mean, I got a text message from some pastor. I don't know how he got my number, but I got a text message this past week saying, hey, uh, are you going to come to the fellowship church with Ed Young? And uh, he's doing some kind of leadership seminar or something like that and it's like what the world is this you know like uh, what does ed young want you know (laughs) so i text him back and i said uh no i wouldn't attend such a thing because i think the prosperity gospel is heresy it's what your pastor said sorry you know and this guy texts me back and he said hey uh, i've been a part of ed young's leadership team for many years and there is no heresy here And I said, well, that's the difference between you and I. I believe the prosperity gospel is heresy. And I think if you preach health and wealth and a consumer-driven Christianity, you are in error. You know, he didn't text me back after that. That was it. Fight was over. (laughs) Why why am I getting text messages from Ed Young? You know, why a text message? You know, I hate technology, I tell (laughs) you. There you guys see, though, the overarching imperative here, preach the word. And I think everything underneath that overarching, that main imperative, that main commandment, everything else explains to us kind of the nuts and bolts of what's involved. And so it gives us the context, first of all, the context is in season and out. What does that mean, by the way, in season and out? What does that mean? Does that mean when you're ready and when you're not ready? When it's cold and when it's hot outside? (laughs) <laughs> the seasons? Yes, sir. Okay, yeah, certainly. I think that's acceptable, exegesis. No, I think that's, that's, that's a good nuance to it. Anybody else? What's that? Regardless of the times? 
okay? I think there's, there's room for you in the, in the inn. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Gail? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a broad definition there, uh, but uh, in season and out, the best way I've ever heard that explained is that it means, you know, when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. For the pastor, remember, this is an exhortation from one pastor to another, and young Timothy is being exhorted, hey, Timothy, preach the word whether you like it or not, uh, whether you're ready or not, whether it's convenient or not, whether you're looking forward to it or not, right? It's like there's times when I drive up to the church and I am just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm super pumped and excited and I'm zealous and filled with hope and joy and love and peace and, you know, it's just great. And then there's other times when I pull up to the church and I'm dreading it because I don't feel like I prepared right and my mind's not straight. And I don't know if I really got it, you know, or I've got a hard meeting after church or, you know, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. There's church discipline going on and you just, or there's division happening or whatever. And so regardless of that, whether it's in season or out, uh, the, the context of the word uh, is that you have to preach it in every season uh, regardless. Also, the content of it is this, that you reprove, level of correction, that you rebuke, level of confrontation, and that you exhort, which is why I said preaching is exhortation, level of exhortation or admonition. This is where you encourage people to do the right thing. The definitions here, re reprove, rebuke, exhort, sort of bleed over into each other, and that's why they're put in quick succession next to each other, because they're not synonymous, but they're kind of in the same word group. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right, whether it's convenient or not. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. What would be a major inconvenience to preach the word? Anybody know? I don't know. Uh, I know one guy, Charles Simeon, if you've ever read or you've ever listened to John Piper's sermon on J uh, Charles Simeon, uh, who was a, basically a Puritan pastor way back when, uh, his congregation hated him. Uh, they did, that's putting it mildly, they did not like him. Uh, there was factions in the church. They tried to, several times to, to foist him out of the church. They just didn't like him. They just thought he was too holy, too, too over the top. You know, uh, they wanted kind of their old pastor back. And so they did all sorts of underhand poor pastor. And this is like the classic story of poor pastor Charles, you know. And, and for 30 years, he endured and refused to leave his post. And he would make statements like, look, God put me here and I'm not leaving here. You know what I mean? Like until God removes me, I'm staying right here. I mean, they would do all kinds of stuff. They try to discourage church growth. They would block the pews so people couldn't sit in the good seats. I mean, just all this crazy stuff, you know? Don't you guys start doing stuff like that either. <laughs> uh, I kind of feel like Amy does that with her wagon in here every week. Just <laughs> never know what Amy's gonna pull on you. Uh, yeah, that could be very inconvenient to preach in a context like that where you're having all these issues and people don't really receive and, and, and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Uh, this, is, uh, this is an experience I recently heard of, a pastor preaching in a very heavily reformed area where everybody's just kind of set in their ways. Nobody wants to be exhorted. Nobody wants to be rebuked or confronted about holiness or you know anything like that. That could be hard ground. You know what I mean? That's hard ground. It's just... The Reformed faith has its, um, has its issues, you know what I mean? Uh, any questions about anything uh, regarding that? What about the manner? The manner of preaching is also given to us here with great patience and instruction. I like that. Uh, I like that because it keeps the pastor in check, you know, that uh, you, don't get, uh, you don't get impatient in ministry with the people, in counseling, uh, with discipleship, uh, you know, with the finances, you know, uh, there's just a million things that you can get impatient about with church growth, not growing fast enough, you know, or, or what, what have you, you know, that, that's not the imperative here, you know, the imperative is, 
your job is to preach the word, you know, let everything else take care of itself, okay? And so be patient and also uh, give instruction. Uh, that's interesting, right? With great patience and instruction. So it's like you have to, you have to instruct. It's almost like a proverbial attitude here. You have to be able to grant, you know, uh, people, give people the, the, the way to do things. You need to be able to explain the way things work. You can't just carte blanche tell people this is, this is how it is. You need to explain. You need to be able to explain the dynamics of things you know, to people. And that, that sometimes it takes patience you know, to, to work people through that. It might take patience because you may have to reiterate things over and over and over and over to people. They don't get it first time around. You know what I mean? They, don't, they just don't get it. And that's okay. Uh, that just means we need, uh, we need to uh, study more. Um, need to be reminded more. Keeping my eye on the clock, sorry. It's quickly escaping us here. Okay, uh, the reason why, why do you preach the word? Um, because the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And so you preach the word because the issue ultimately is doctrinal. And you know that we live in the end of the age. Here we are, we're in the last days. And so we fall into this time, the time will come. And so if Paul and the apostles were there, we are certainly there. And uh, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And so people want to fly off into every new view and new perspective and new theology that is coming on the horizon. And, you, and the church needs to be uh, uh, prepared for that. That, that. that is a huge thing. Like I, I just constantly worry about that. I constantly worry about what theology are you listening to. I'm constantly worried about what, you, what are you exposed to? What are you, who are you listening to? What are you listening to? What could be influencing you on your computer or your phone or you know, some author that you're reading or, you know what I mean? Like I'm constantly, I'm, I'm, I'm paranoid about that. I, I really am. Like what is influencing your mind and your soul? You know, I don't wanna find out about it later. You know, but the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine and that is a serious, serious issue. Uh, the church is to have a firewall around it and we are to have sound doctrine because there's a lot of bad doctrine out there. I've told you guys a story, right? A guy, uh, many years ago, my first church where I was preaching, a guy came in, had a really nice uh, family and, 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 and was very serious about preaching and teaching and, and theology and, and stuff like that. And I just, you know, I'm, I, I, I'd like to think that I've become like Spurgeon because Spurgeon said, I've developed a theological nose I can kind of smell things a mile away, you know, thing. and I think, I think I'm getting to that point. I don't know if I'm at Spurgeon's level, but <laughs> I, I think I'm already kind of able to detect, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, and, uh, but I knew something was off with this guy. It was just some words he was using and terms he was using, and he sounded really solid. Then he expressed desire to be a pastor and all this, and we're like, okay, well, all right, maybe this could be good. Well, in uh, having a more serious conversation with him, eventually myself, the other elder at the time, uh, we detected some of the language that he was using, and finally it's like light bulb went off, and I'm like, are you reading N.T. right? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I am, you know? And so it turned out he was heavily, heavily influenced by the new perspective on Paul. Many of you guys don't know that, know, even know what that is, but the new perspective on Paul, just to give you kind of a, you know, um, a perspective that it may not always be the obvious sort of wealth, health, prosperity. It might not be the heresy that you might think is so obvious that, you know, it's silly and it's, it's, it's rank and, and that. It could be very sophisticated and very difficult to, to detect and to understand. N.T. Wright writes voluminous uh, books on the doctrine of justification and, uh, and basically what N.T. Wright has developed is, is, is an alternative doctrine to justification, which basically amounts to going back under Rome and uh, sort of a justification by works. And he doesn't say that. You're not gonna open one of N.T. Wright's books and open it up and say, hey, you're justified by works. No, it's gonna take you 600 pages to figure that out. And it's very high scholarship. But uh, the pastor and I were able to discern that he was using N.T. Wright's terminology and language and James Dunn and all the other New Perspective people, 
And uh, I tell you what, that's what I mean. It's like the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. And so a pastor that is not theological, not, do not doc doctrinal, uh, I, I, I don't understand it. You know, um, I think it was D.A. Carson and John Piper that recently wrote a book on why the pastor should be a scholar. And uh, I think there's something to that. I don't know if that disqualifies me, but, <laughs> but, but I think there's something to at least saying, look, like this is why you need to be doctrinal yourself as a pastor. And anybody have questions about that? Comments, feedback? Yes, sir. Well, what you're talking about there in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 with the diluting influence really is in the context of um, eschatology, the rise of Antichrist, and the world at, as it, I think, progressively rejects Christ and the gospel and the church. Increasingly, God will give them over to a diluting influence that is more of a satanic type of a nature, right, which is just basically uh, to have an antichrist perspective in life, to have to be devoid of a, of a godly worldview. So I think it's more worldview driven than, than, than heresy, right, but it certainly will manifest itself in that. And matter of fact, as G.K. Beale has uh, taught that with the rise of antichrist will come a rise in heresy, uh, which is a whole different, you know, but I think of scriptures like 1 John uh, chapter 5, I think what's verse 19, you know, the whole world is in the sway or the lap of the evil one, you know, things like that, right? And certainly false teachers are in the lap of the evil one, you know, but, but all I'm saying is that Paul issues this warning here because there are dangers at every level. There's dangers at the, at the, at the sort of the low level sort of, you know, heresy and then very sophisticated high level academic heresy. You know what I'm saying? Give you guys an inside scoop. Anybody know who Peter Enns is? A couple of you, right? Pete Enns. I don't expect you to know who he is. That's why I'm going to tell you this, because you don't even know who it is. Peter Enns was a theologian at Westminster who basically was removed because of heresy. Uh, his heresy was basically liberalism, ultimately, but he ended up denying things like a literal atom, historical atom, Adam didn't exist, it was just kind of a metaphor, you know, things like that, and Westminster, had, Westminster finally said, no way, you know? And so, uh, and his writings are very sophisticated, and if you don't know what you're doing, uh, you know, you can be swayed, and he swayed many, many seminary students to follow him in his liberalism. Well, I just heard uh, from a brother that, that P.N.'s reached out to and said, hey, I need to talk to you and uh, pulled him aside and they actually had a meeting and he has, he has reached out because he says that his heresy has left him completely empty and high and dry and that he's lost, you know, which is just incredible, you know, to think about. But you can have, that's what I'm saying, this heretical, you know, you gotta be ready and <laughs> you gotta be ready for that, you know, like, uh, it's just incredible. So what's the result of the reason of preaching the word is because people won't endure sound doctrine. And what's the result of that? Well, they'll go from the truth. They'll go off into myths. So enough time on that. Now, uh, oh, we don't have time for this. <laughs> no, no, because every one of these points is a slide. So we don't have time for this, but we'll go as far as we can. Uh, because it's not just about what preaching is and how the word operates and what it does, but it's also all about profiting from the Word of God. How do you profit from the Word of God the most? And I would say the first thing that you do is you prepare for the Word of God. You need to be prepared. Uh, you need to be ready for church, ready to learn, ready to engage. And, uh, and that, that goes into all of these things. Uh, also, it, you know, I'm thinking mainly right now, uh, like in terms of sermons and, and, and preaching and the ministry of the word in the church, right, ecclesiology. And so when the sermon goes forth, the pastor should not be the only one preparing for the sermon. 
the members should be preparing for the sermon too. And y'all need to kind of follow along in what is being preached so that you kind of, you know, you, you, you have a sort of a, a gauge on where we're at. You're not always lost. Like, you don't walk in here week after week like, where are we at in Scripture, right? And I'm so encouraged by this church because I know that this church is full of people that know exactly where they're at. I mean, Amy holds me accountable to the verse that I'm preaching. You know, like, you're on this verse. <laughs> I love that. You know, that really blesses me tremendously. But, but uh, you need to be prepared. I would say, you know, prepare, prepare in various ways. Now, let me ask you, how do you prepare for sermons? Anyone? Start in the back, move to the left. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> People are terrified, right? How do you prepare for sermons? Anyone? Anyone? Robert? Prayer. prayer. Well, that's a big one. That's a really big one. What do you mean by prayer? How do you, be, how do you prepare for sermons through prayer? Mm. Well, I mean, I'm all for that. Prepare uh, prayerfully for the Word of God. You know what I mean? And I would just say, too, this is just a number of practical things that we can do, especially in the context of a sermon. You know, coming prepared means, you know, be on time. Don't be running in the sanctuary, you know, after my introduction, you know. <laughs> I mean, you want to be there. You want to be on time. Honor the Word. Have a high view. Like Robert said, you know, the Bible. It's actually one of my points, I think. Yeah, that's right. In engaging with the Word, I wrote down, you know, remember Scripture is supernatural, you know, the word of God is not like any other word. The Bible is not like any other book. I hate when apologists say things like, we need to treat the Bible like any other book of history or any other book of antiquity. No, we do not. Because the Bible is not any other book of antiquity or any other book of history. It is a supernatural book given to us through supernatural means, and it contains supernatural content. It is not like any other book. And so we need to prepare. This is a spiritual intercourse that we're having with the divine revelation of God, and we need to think of it that way. And so when we're thinking about preparing for the Word, you know, uh, prepare by minimizing distractions. If you got to go to the restroom, go to the restroom. You know you got to go. Why, why are you going to go in the middle of my sermon? You know? <laughs> you know? I told you this before, too. Careful with your kids. Your kids are very skilled at getting mommy and daddy distracted from the sermon. They know right when they need to go to the restroom, right? Sister's like, yep. Like a timer, right? Best part of the sermon, mom, I gotta go, you know? Don't, watch out. The Bible calls them vipers for a reason. <laughs> they know what they're doing, you know. Don't let your kids rip you off from the Word of God. <laughs> no, seriously, and that also sets an example, I think, for your children that, wow, not every, you know, the Word of God takes precedence over everything, so you got to hold it, you know. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. Try to be responsible, you know. Everything from bathroom breaks to water to drinks to whatever you got to do, get all that ready, done, out of the way, Okay. Um, minimize all distractions. Turn your cell phone completely off if you're not using it to, uh, to engage the Word of God or something like that, you know? Um, those, any other things like that, practical stuff that you guys have done to prepare? Am I missing something? Yes, sir, uh, Mario? Yeah, matter of fact, several brothers in the church have already approached me and tell me they're reading a commentary along with me. They're reading a, a, a heavy-duty commentary on Isaiah, for example, you know, following me along, which is, is, is uh, just a little intimidating, you know, because you know someone out there is like reading really good material and keeping you accountable to the exposition of, 
of what you're doing. And, but I, I welcome it. It's great. So that, that, that's absolutely right. Um, okay, what about, okay, this goes together, and so we'll, we'll, we'll probably just handle these two. But yeah, engage with the word the way that I, you know, Spurgeon is very famous for saying, you know, those that can should and those that, should, those that can't should not. And what he was talking about was uh, they were talking to him about the manner of his preaching. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, as eloquent and prolific as the Prince of Preacher was, would preach by a f- with a five-by-eight card in his hand, just little notes here and there, no sermon, no manuscript, nothing. I mean, he just, pure brilliance every time, you know, preaching in front of 5,000 people in his church, you know, just unbelievable. Uh, and so what he says, don't try to do what I do if you're just not equipped to do that. And I would say the same thing for listening to a sermon. Some of you all listen to a sermon, and you can just sit there, and just Bible open, making mental notes of what's being preached and what's being taught. And I trust that as you do that, that you are actually profiting from the sermon such that you could repeat it to your children, that you could teach your wife the sermon that was preached, that you could teach your home, that you could share with friends or family or coworkers or whatever, that you can essentially, you can, you can sort of draw back and recall the gist of the sermon and what was preached. Okay, maybe you're there, but maybe if you're like the rest of us, you need to take notes and you need to get a pen and paper and jot down things and write down the main points of the sermon so that you remember these things. You see what I'm saying? So that you can now turn around and kind of reteach it. Uh, I used to teach a Bible study in, a, in an old shoe store, Southern California, Costa Mesa, California, and uh, I used to just plagiarize my pastor's sermons. Yeah, unashamed, unabashed. Just take his sermons, plagiarize everything he taught, and just reteach it to people and just look really good while I was doing it. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> they knew what we were doing, but what I'm saying is that I, I wasn't equipped to do, to do that on my own yet. You know what I mean? I just needed to follow someone's thinking in the Word of God and just have an outline and just have notes and be ready uh, and so if you are that kind of person, please take meticulous notes. And if you think you missed something, remember my manuscripts are online. You can grab the manuscript and I beg you, there's some times where I have my manuscript and there are scriptures that I'm using like to prove a point. And I'm just like, I'm not even gonna get to this and it kills me because I'm like, this is like the verse right here, like this is the text you're supposed to, and I don't have time, and so I'm just thinking, I hope they get the manuscript and go back and do the study on their own. But okay, so we engage the word because it is supernatural, because uh, it is also rigorous. Um, I mean, I just had a conversation today about uh, our preaching and how rigorous it is and how sometimes it's hard to follow and it's hard to benefit from it because sometimes it's kind of it's kind of like heavy and high level and it's challenging and it's like and it's good it's good right like it's good that it's like that it's we can't we can't go back now you know we'd be apostate if we did so we got to keep moving forward you know we can't draw back we gotta we gotta keep it there you know set the pace set the tone and uh and all of that so let me see that i move that yeah and remember that scripture is sacred so it is uh let's see here it is sacred, it is supernatural, it is rigorous, and for those reasons, we have to be really serious when we engage the Word of God, and so uh, our time is completely over. I was done two minutes ago, so love you all. Thank you so much for your time. Lord willing, next week, we'll keep going with practical ecclesiology, okay? Let's, get, let's prepare for the Word.